This episode is brought to you by ArtistWorks.com. ArtistWorks offers online music lessons with personal feedback from well-known teachers and artists making musical progress from your own home a reality. So you can find out more at ArtistWorks.com backslash drum. They have a great course with the legendary educator, jazz drummer, fusion drummer, all-around awesome dude, Peter Erskine. Check it out there. Uh, he has an option where you can upload your own videos and he can give you some personal feedback. And you can also just check out the courses that he has done for them. Um, so that's it. Check them out. Artistworks.com backslash drum. What's up, guys? Welcome into episode 129 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. And my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk a little drum mixing. Mike and I will both give you our personal recipes for miking and EQing our drum set. After that, we'll do some gear review and we'll check out the new D-Drum, Dios Maple drum set. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh, I clapped. Oops. Well, whatever works. Anyway, how about that? That was Gregor Zenz. What, what, what do you think Gregor? Is that a nickname or do you think that's a European name? No, Where are we at? I think, I think he's, I think that's a name. I think, I think anyone named Gregor is shooting for the, the hope to someday be Sir Gregor. Sir Gregor. <laughs> yes. That is like anytime you name your child Gregor, you're hoping that that child will eventually be knighted. And then the child is thinking someday I'll be Sir Gregor. It's all good. Oh, Gregor, killer groove, man. Uh, that was awesome. Thank you for letting me speak over your world groove. Your cowbell, cowbell infused <laughs> thing, man. Yeah, it was cool, man. Really That's, cool stuff. Yeah, cool cowbell. So we have to talk about your cowbell, man. Where are we at? It's been a year since you've been developing this sucker. You I know, and, and you would <laughs> you would think you'd just walk out to a farm, like you know, find a cow and yank it off his neck and be like, yeah, "That sounds dope." I'll put some gaff tape on it. We'll make it work. Yeah. So myself and Minel have been developing a cowbell for a long time, and it really came around. I'm trying to think. I think it was last year's uh, Music Mesa show when they started using a new alloy for their cowbells. So was that? What I had time told of the them, year is that? Is that summertime? I don't remember where. Is that God? I don't even July. I blocked it out of my mind. It was such a weird event. I didn't know. I don't remember what happened. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely been. God, it's. It's got to have been a year, or maybe it already happened again. Anyways, <laughs> I know that. Actually, I think uh, they they showed their new alloy at Nam last year. So it's been over a year since I started talking to them. Oh yeah, and then yeah. they gave me my first prototype at Music Mesa. That was the timeline, and I had told them when I first signed with them. Hey, there's something. I mean, your percussion is amazing. Your cajones are amazing. Your congas, everything. What's the deal with the cowbells? And they were very honest. They said it's just an alloy thing. It's not quite as easy as you think to make cowbells um, and to mass produce them on the scale that Minel does. And so they really went back to the drawing board a few years ago and got a new alloy to make all their cowbells out of, which is what gives it its tone. It's not just shape. It's also the material. So it's actually when they did that. No, no, no. They're not doing it. Okay. Um, so it's steel. So I'm, I'm, steel it's steel. Yeah. It's steel. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't be saying. It's just It's just the mix of steel. I mean, steel is still going to have a certain tone to it. Yeah. Um, so the when they revamped the steel that they were using, it was such a giant leap. And, and if you buy a cowbell right now from Minel, that's what you're getting is the new steel. But it was such a leap forward sonically that I was like, oh, man. And what I wanted was... 
and maybe you and the listeners can help me here because we need to name this thing. But I wanted a cowbell that I felt cowbells were too either too rock or too world grooves. So if I tried to play, you know, uh, what, what's the more cowbell song? The uh, oh, don't fear Louis the reaper. Report. Yeah, if I tried to play that on my, you know, LP Mambo Bell, it was kind of like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> and then if I if I took like the rock and roll cowbell that should have been in that song, and tried to play some Wah Wah Go on it, it just sounded weird. And so I wanted a cowbell that kind of was almost like a gig cowbell. You could just gig anything with this and you could play funk tunes with it fine but if you just all of a sudden jumped into some afro-cuban 6-8 and played it on the cowbell it would sound fine it wouldn't sound you were playing like gook 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 you know mm, that just yeah. weird rock sound so that was what we started developing about a year ago and i think we're finally there unfortunately i would have seen it at nam but i stayed here and didn't go to nam so they're shipping it to me now and we've got a patina on it so it's got like <laughs> this raw nasty finish and uh, it'll come with a mount, and it will come with a uh, a bell mute similar to their minor cymbal mutes. But you just need one because luckily the cowbell is steel. So, and that mute moving it around the bell is how you can get the rock sound or the the kind of world rhythm sound. So I'm I'm trying to decide. Maybe you guys can help me out here. Either call it the the minor gig bell because you can that's what gig popped any in my style head. with it. That's okay, literally perfect. what popped in my head. So okay, that's or, one. Okay, one or two would be to call it the transition bell to go with the transition ride just because it transitions from style to style. So it's is on a marketing side. I mean, the gig bell, I like products that tell you what they do yeah. in their name. I, I like that better personally because I think transition, it ties it in so heavily with the ride symbol. Right, and it has nothing to do with yeah. the ride, sure. But I think that Perfect. makes sense, too. But I like Gig Bill. Anyone else have any ideas? Send them over to MDInfo at MonitorTrumper.com. No, please do not send your ideas, because I know it'll just be Actually, things that we legally, can't even read on the air. Legally, we probably can't even like acknowledge that yeah. they exist. So <laughs> Yeah, so just don't send them in. But uh, maybe, just, maybe when I put up my first uh, video of the final, I should be getting the final prototype. So we've done probably about five of them now. Um, different sizes and uh, different thicknesses and everything. And we kind of just nailed the one where I'm like, okay, I could play almost any style on this and make it sound fairly authentic, especially by moving the mute around. The the bell mute, when you put it on, especially towards the edge, it drops the pitch by Mm. what feels like a full cowbell octave. You don't Uh, feel like you need to tape it up at all at this point. No, not at all. No. And... And yeah, I'm, I'm really and, and the cool thing is you don't have to buy any accessories. It's coming with the bass drum mount. It's going to come with this, the the bell mute and it'll um, be an awesome cowbell. So that should be coming out. I don't know, hopefully sometime next year. But I'll, I'll let you guys know as soon as I have the final prototype. What's new in your world, buddy? Everything settled down from Nam? Oh, go ahead. Sometime next year. You mean this year? Later this year? Yeah, whatever, man. 2018. It's a, <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's maybe it's Nam 2019. Maybe what, maybe that's yeah. a, that better be a really choice cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be the gig bell, baby. The choice bell. The, the choice Mike Dawson bell. choice bell. <laughs> Grade um, A cowbell. <laughs> Angus cowbell. <laughs> All right, before Peta uh, takes us down, everything settled down after Nam. Not really. I mean, it's everything kind of just ramps up. I got. <laughs> Man, I got tea all hey. over my jeans. Yeah, well, you know, 
You ask a question, God, you, get, <laughs> you gotta be prepared for the answer. Uh, I hate. Uh, there's <laughs> it's all over my keyboard. I hate when I ask you a question and I've already predetermined the answer, and then you say the complete opposite. <laughs> I I had enough time to sip to, for you to say, "Yeah, man, everything's cool," and then I'd be back in. Nope. Oh god, and everything's okay. not cool. No, everything is far from cool. <laughs> This is like the worst episode ever. I just pictured, what is it, Samuel Jackson and Pulp Fiction. I'm really far from okay. No, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, it's it's Vin, what's his face? Crap, it's after the, oh my gosh, I don't even want to go there. It's after that really terrible scene with the, <laughs> with the basement. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Are you okay? Uh, no, you're I'm pretty, pretty effing far from okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's, uh, okay, okay, oh, so. God, anyway. Modern Drummer. I'm, I'm doing all Ooh. right. Things have not calmed down, but it's a good thing. I mean, it's uh, you know the gear's starting to show up. I just got a Noble and Cooley Walnut Kit in to review. Oh my gosh! Which I'm pretty excited to check out. Um, Bone Custom Drums sent one of their kits straight from the Nam Show that has carbon fiber and maple shells, which I'm really curious Whoa. to check out. So it's just a lot of stuff start piling up. God, yeah, pretty cool. I, I still and and do you do the reboxing? That is the worst part. I need an intern just for the reboxing. Say, I, I, I couldn't do it. Like there are people that have said, "Hey, can I just send you these four amazing snare drums to check out?" And I literally say no because I know that I have to ship them back. And I don't mean I'm losing the snare. I mean I have to box them. And yeah, I'm, the I just process. Of I don't know what it is. Up. You know how much stuff I would sell on Reverb or eBay <laughs> if I didn't have to box things up. <laughs> But it's worth it to me to put it in the dumpster. Like, I've told people, I'm like, hey, you should dumpster dive at my place because I throw away a lot of expensive <laughs> stuff just because I'm so lazy that I don't want to box it up and ship it out. Uh, it's got to be tough, man. I hate it. And, I mean, a lot of the stuff Especially comes, full kits? Yeah, like, get a lot of stuff straight from, like, the factories in Taiwan or whatever. So everything is in, like, one box. You open it up, like, oh, every tension rod has been a bag. And you're like, oh. oh, <laughs> oh it's like being the assembler at Ikea. I couldn't do it. Oh. Yeah, and, it, and, you know, taking it out is bad enough. But it's like, oh, man, now I've got to somehow get it all back in this box. And I didn't take a picture of how it was laid out or anything. Oh, man. Okay, that brings up an awesome question. You are definitely more of a drum purist than I am, and, and you kind of have to be a little bit just so that you can always be, I guess, impartial to what's going on. When you are doing that with a kit, is there any point in time that you use a drill to, to maybe undo the tension rods just quicker? Never. Never. I don't. Never? Nope. I don't. I just now, don't. Do you have uh, a reason? I just don't have a... I don't feel like carrying a drill around, first of all, and I just don't okay, uh, okay. I just I, I don't but have it, a bit for it. I've never even thought about it. I if I have two drum keys, I can get a head off just I think just as quickly and I just rather than plugging in a drill and I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so funny. That's like <laughs> we all have like different levels of laziness or just they, yeah. it affects different aspects of us. Like to me, doing it with a key it's like I, I don't have the time for that and then um you know uh our friend uh john over at revolution that makes the true tones right, yeah. um makes all the cases so he came out with a new key and the top end of the key pops off and it is a drill bit oh and okay there you go it's and when you take it off and just in case you lost it it fits into what was a drum key as well so if you do lose that top you still have a drum key um but I've been using that nonstop. It would have been my pick of the week three weeks in a row, but it hasn't officially been released through Big Bang yet. So, um, but yeah, I always take my heads off with a drill bit because it's so fast. It's like it's like NASCAR. But <laughs> do you have I've a just wireless been... drill though? 
Oh, oh, of course. Yes, yeah. I'd... A wireless drill. What? <laughs> All drills are wireless. What do no, you? No, mine plugs in. <laughs> Is it from the seventies? <laughs> Does it take gas? What do you mean your your drill plugs in? <laughs> hey, now, don't don't drill shame me here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All drills have been created equal. Everything's fine. I, I get it. Yeah, I would hate for you to have to huddle in the corner by the outlet with your drill. <laughs> you take off a drum head. Um, okay. <clears throat> Let's get serious here. I take off the heads with a drill, but there's something. I don't know who instilled it in me, but at some point in time, somebody said never use a drill to put your drum heads on. In case you just, I guess, cranked it, you know, yeah. left it going too long. So I, I still put them on with a key, but I, yeah, I always use it to take it off. So I, I was just curious because I don't remember why I was so scared to use a drill. Um, and if it was some, I think at some point, do you remember the company Rocket Shells? The original yeah. carbon yep. fiber guys? Yep. Well, they were here in Sacramento. And I remember that was probably the first drum factory I ever visited because I had I didn't have an endorsement yet. And I remember them... Um, him telling me, he's like, yeah, I don't let our employees use a drill. And, but he never told me why. I was um, like, oh, okay. What's the secret? So well, I mean, I'd be curious yeah. to know if, if like Ron Danette or if Rami, if any of them use a drill. Probably. And I, again, it's for me, I just don't want to have to deal with a to- another tool. So I'm right. sure it's faster, wanna... but I don't feel like that is what takes up the most time. What takes up the most time right, is taking the crap out of the cellophane packages oh, and all that stuff. Bro. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway. I, you know what? I I don't feel bad about your weather because you choose to live there, but that I do. I've got, uh, my heart goes out to you, buddy. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about something that we both have to deal with on a daily basis and something that can drive both of us absolutely insane or it can make us happier than a fresh pie. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I'd think of something cooler before that came out of my mouth. Uh, that is mixing your drums. <laughs> I really thought something cool was going to happen. If I keep talking long enough, something cool is going to happen. Happy mm. pie. It's a happy pie. Happy, pie. happy little pie. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I did a TED Talk. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, about delivering information, which I'm <laughs> rocking. Okay, so we're talking about drum mixing. Mixing your drums and just the process between or, you know, from going from a microphone into something and then somehow ending up with sound on your computer, which is still not the, the simplest task. No. Uh, I think every NAM is somebody trying to solve that thing and make miking your drums easier and making interfaces more and more simple and getting it straight to your phone as quick as possible. So let's just talk about the process uh, of mixing. Where, where do you want to start? You want to start overhead? Kick, well, I thought snare. it'd be good to start with just what's our, how do each of us start? What do we do? What do we turn sure. on first? What do we pull up first? What's our number one move? So you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Uh, so number one move for me after getting the mic set up. I mean, that's, you know, my first thing yeah. is just getting the, the, the setup. But you and I both have a place to do this, right? So we kind of have this, a similar setup yep. every time. Yep. Um, so I open up Pro Tools, and then I – this is something I'm curious about with you, is I do track with the plugins on the channels that I'm tracking. I know that yeah. eats up some CPU. Do you do the same or do I you do. I start always, with the template. Okay. Uh, but okay, so do I. I don't have many plugins – at all that I'm using, it's basically like I have an, an EQ and maybe a compressor, and that's it. I don't. I was going to ask. Okay, so let's talk about crazy plugins. I have nothing <clears throat> other than 
I'm using mostly the Steven Slate plugins. Um, I don't mm-hmm. use any sampling whatsoever, any drum replacing, but I do use the plugins. I think mainly they're good, but I also think they look good, which helps my personal mm-hmm. OCD. It's like, oh, well, these look expensive. Yeah, they look like um, the hardware. Exactly. So I use those, uh, and I pay the monthly fee for those. I think it's twenty four ninety nine for all access to all of their plugins. I pay that monthly, um, and I have... Let's see, um, compressor and EQ, and uh, that's the only, excuse me, plugins that I use. But going from the microphones into the computer, for me, it goes microphone into my preamps. I have two uh, Neve preamps. It goes from there into my interface, which in my case is a Behringer X32 rack. Mm-hmm. I bypass the Behringer's pre's. Yep. And I go out of that USB into my computer, and I'm recording into Pro Tools, uh, whatever the newest Pro Tools is, Pro Tools 9 or something. Okay, so let's say you've already recorded it. Okay. What's the first thing you do? Uh, first thing I do is I solo each track. Um, so I'll solo the overhead, and then I just start tweaking it with the plugins. Um, and I also will boost the signal um, or normalize it. So it's not peaking, mm. but it's not too low. Um, and that's a, that's interesting. I mean, there's so many different debates about where that level should be for how it should hit the plugins to get the the best sound out of them. Well, let's talk about. I'm that. still confused about it, uh, but I I think the general consensus is like three quarters of the way up. Like okay, never hitting really never hitting the yellow on the meter. Oh, okay. So it's a lot. Yeah. It's well, a lot I, lower than I think we're used to, especially if we come from an analog world where you want to kind of get the biggest waveform as possible. Right. Um, I don't know. I haven't done enough testing to think that that's accurate or not. But I trust guys like Dave Pensado and you know all these. Right. They say you can track a lot quieter than you think. Right. But yeah, and I don't actually use like the normalize option. I just mean I, you I just, just manually gain it up. I gain it up till I'm probably maybe 5 dB. My loudest accent would probably be 5 or 6 dB under peaking. Um, okay. Yeah, seems about right. So, yeah. So, I never actually get into the red ever. And then, uh, so I go through each individual channel. I do that. And then I just sweeten to taste. And the one thing that I do uh, is I'll go in-ears, then Yamaha NS10s, and then usually earbuds. And mm. I, that gives me a good, like, okay. And even sometimes since my computer itself has its own cheap speakers because it's an all-in-one computer, sometimes I'll unplug the NS10s and just run through the computer and think, like, okay, how would somebody hear this on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook? And so I'm kind of mixing. I, I don't mix my drum videos like I would mix an album. I'm mixing specifically thinking you're probably not going to be listening on good quality yeah, me too. earphones. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the purpose because I get really bummed when I see somebody that clearly has no good recording gear and it sounds 20 times better than what I did <laughs> because they, they know how to mix for the for, for their audience. Yeah, it's all mid-range. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, I mean, uh, the one thing that I would say, if, if we're trying to give anybody some tips and tricks... When I EQ, if I was EQing from scratch, luckily you and I both have templates that we've created for ourselves. But if I was EQing from scratch, I usually grab a pretty narrow bandwidth of EQ. Everything's at zero. 
and then I turn one narrow band of EQ all the way up to 10, and I just sweep through probably about 200 hertz up to about 1,000 hertz, and I'm looking for the most annoying frequency showing through on that channel, and then I know what to take out. I'm usually taking out more than I'm putting in. How much do you take cut, cut it out? I know some guys take it out all the way or just a few. Maybe. I don't do that. No, I mean, honestly, once again, I, I don't know why people make rules. I do it until it sounds good. Yeah. And, and the thing is, if you take out so much, it, unless you have like the craziest narrow bandwidth, sometimes it just gets kind of thin sounding. So I just take it out and then I'll put it back into zero and go, OK, that's what it sounds like with that frequency at zero. Let me take it back out, put it back in. Uh, it's really rare, though, that I'm adding frequencies. What? All righty. You, what is your deal? Come on. You could have let that go. So, yeah. Bypassing the plug-in, I think, is definitely a good strategy. <laughs> yes. Yes. <clears throat> That's what I was talking about. Uh, bypassing the plug-in. That's the best way to describe what yeah. I was saying, that you turned into a dirty double entendre. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. <laughs> All right. Anyways, thanks guys for listening. <laughs> Email. <laughs> okay, info. so you're dealing with just two mics, so that I think my yeah, setup a little would bit be different. a slightly different process. So I'm dealing usually with 13 channels, probably. Jesus. Uh, just de- just depends on the size of the kit. So for me, I always bring up the overheads first. That's so okay. I have a pair of overheads, and I bring those up. Because I'm dealing with you know 13 plus channels, I usually aim for like a negative 20 total output, okay. which is usually pretty low. So I bring the overheads up until yeah. they're reading about negative 20, um, pan them left and right, and then um, before I start EQing, I will then bring up the snare top okay. and just bring that up to where it feels like it just fills out the overheads without it being like really poking through super loud. Again, it's about a negative 20 on that channel. Okay. Um, so that's the overhead top dynamic. Then I bring up the over, I mean the uh, snare top dynamic, and then I bring the snare condenser mic in, and that just fills out the tone. So I bring that up just until it starts to feel like it's the actual drum sound rather than just a smack. And <clears throat> just for the people that can't visualize your setup, so you've got what a, a fifty-seven and then a, and then a small diaphragm yep. condenser just kind of gaff taped together. Yeah, they're stuck together with the X clip. Um, which oh, just right. holds yeah, them yeah. right together, and then I have a bottom condenser on the bottom as well. So I do the overheads, snare top dynamic, which is the 57, and I bring in the pencil condenser top. Um, if I bring that up to the same level as the 57, it'll just start, it'll sound really honky and kind of like too much mm-hmm. tone. So I bring it up just enough to kind of add some fullness without it being overbearing, and then I bring up the okay. bottom mic just to give some sizzle snap just yeah. to the point where you can kind of it just kind of gives it a little more uh, detail and then i do the same thing with the kick drum mic so i bring the inside mic up until it just fills out the overhead sound without it being overpowering and then i bring the front mic in to just fill it out and then i bring up the sub mic if i use it to just kind of add some extra low end wow. so the so inside right mic now is we're already primary. at that's six we're already at eight or yeah, that's, that's eight channels Oh my god! Yeah, and then the hi hat comes in next. Same thing. I just bring it up until it. With the hi hat, I just bring it up and pan it. You know, whatever three quarters of the way. So I only bring that up so then it makes the stereo. It makes it places the hi hat in the right spot because in the overheads sure. they're not really placed. They're kind of just there. Right. So then I use the these the direct mic on the hi hat to kind of place it in the right spot in the in the field. So that's still not very loud. 
Um, then what? Toms, same thing. Just bring them up until they become more full in the overhead. Present. So everything sure. for me is referencing the <clears throat> overhead sound. That is what eliminates okay. um, the overly tight kind of close mic sound, which I right, don't which want. Which I think, especially if you're especially if you're reviewing gear, it's just fake. It's like yeah. we all know drums don't sound like that, and it's not fair to be reviewing gear. Uh, one thing that I've always respected about the way you do your reviews is that you know you could make the snare sound like Vinny if you just put some tape or mm-hmm. one gel on it. But it's like, yeah, but then we just killed the drum itself. Yeah, now exactly. you don't know what the drum does because all drums can do that. Yeah, um, And it's tough because you know that a more novice drummer is going to be like, oh, that $1,000 snare sounds like crap. Yeah, they, I see that They don't know the how time. to listen. Yeah. I was going to say, you must see that, right? Every, yeah, it's almost every time we post a demo, it's like, snare sounds like ass. I'm like, well... <laughs> Do you have to define what ass sounds like first? <laughs> I of can all. tell you exactly what ass sounds like. Um, but no, I mean that's 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 what it's like. No, it doesn't sound like ass. That's what a drum sounds like. Yeah, and that's, that's the drum. What I would need to hear because I already know that if I put enough tape on any drum, I can make it go. I can do the Aaron yeah. Sterling thing. Yeah. I know that. What I need to know is what does it do on its own because I kind of dig overtones. Yeah. I'm kind of a fan of them. Mm-hmm. I want to know what the overtones are. And you can't add um, overtones. That's the thing. You can always take them out, but you can't add them. So I think a drum that has yeah. the, the – the, usually the, the problem drums for me is when the overtone is like a laser beam frequency. And like no matter what you do, it just sounds like someone's playing a trumpet or, or something. Right. You're like, yeah, what the sure. heck? If it's just a sure. wide array of overtones, more the better for me. Because I kind of tune and dampen them. Well, and not to mention, so much of it gets eaten up if you were tracking by guitars and bass and everything, that that life is sometimes nice to have. Yeah, Um, exactly. I I really dig it. Okay, cool. Okay, so... So you've mic'd the kit. Yeah, so that is all. I'm bringing up the channels. Um, So one thing I should probably point out is I I use the overheads as my kind of reference for everything. So even when I'm adjusting the panning of each channel... I listen to the overheads and say, okay, where is the rack tom? And then I put the microphone for that channel right in that spot. So it might, it's usually gotcha. not as far to the left as most people think. It's more up the middle. Right. And then same gotcha. thing with the floor tom. Sometimes it's pretty far to the right and it doesn't, you wouldn't expect it to be there. But it's just right. the way the overheads are kind of splitting the signal. So that kind of, again, puts everything in a natural position where I'm not, you know, forcing the hi hat like way over to the left field and it just doesn't feel mm-hmm. right, which you hear that in yeah. songs and it, I hate that mix. For sure. when it's well, like, I mean, you know, even as somebody that only uses two mics. By the way, I went to three mics yesterday. Oh, um, where'd you put the third one? I'm, uh, I actually did two of my nice uh, large diaphragm condensers over the top. So I mm. have, even though I only have one pole coming down, I have like one of those little T bars that allows you to attach two mics to it, right. and then I spread them out um, stereo. And it was fuller, and I realized if I was Next time my band tracks here, I'm definitely going to do that. But it wasn't what I want for social media. It was, mm. it gave me a bigger, fuller sound, and I want a tighter sound for social media and just for people listening on their phone. So uh, more isn't better. It just is more. Yeah. Uh, and, and in certain situations, it works. In certain situations, it doesn't. But anyways, what I was going to say is, even as somebody that only has one overhead, bringing the kick channel up without it sounding like there's a separate kick channel is is quite uh, an intricate task. I mean, it takes yeah. me a long time to find that volume of like, 
I want the kick to be present, but I don't want it to sound like I have. If I bring the kick up too much, then it sounds like I have an expensive kick drum mic and just some yep. cheesy overhead. Yeah. So it's uh, same so thing. Yeah, you have so to do a lot a of a lot of muting or solo. You know, muting the yep. channel, and bringing it back in because I think we lose perspective mm-hmm. if you're just moving the fader up and down. Like, oh, it sounds great there, but then if you mute it, you're like, dang, that's super loud. That's not really where it should be. Yeah. For sure. And one thing you can do, I mean, we we have to acknowledge, too, the the tricks that are played on our ears when we sit in front of those speakers for so long. Um, So if I think uh, my overheads, it's like, are they too loud? Are they too quiet? I'll just solo the kick channel for a while and get used to nothing but kick. And then instead of muting the overhead channel, I just have it at zero and I'll bring it in slowly. And then I'm so much more aware of that overhead as I'm bringing it in, you know, two dB at a time. Yeah. That I can really then find that balance of like, cool, now I can still feel the kick in my chest, but I'm hearing the whole, the drum set as one whole entity. And I think that you and I are both going for – I would say if that's – if there's a goal, our goal is the drum set sounds like an instrument, not yeah, like seven yeah. individual instruments, right? Yeah, I mean I'm – yeah, if I'm not talking about mixing the EDM tracks or something where you would be more extreme right. with your isolation and all that. I'm just trying to capture yep. a drum set as it as I perceive it when I'm sitting at the kit. Um, yeah. You, ever, you know, one thing I do a lot is I close my eyes when I'm moving the, the fader up and down. That way, I'm not love I'm not looking at that's where it should be. I just close my eyes and say, okay, there it sounds right, and I'll come back to it a couple minutes later. I'll do it again, and usually it ends up at the same spot. That's, right. that's a good. No, that's a good tip. that's important for sure, for uh, sure. And the other thing too is having some reference around you of what what do you think a great drum sound is. There's tons of times that I'll have a track up of something that really inspired me. And then I'll I'll listen to that, and then I'll play my drums, and I'll listen to that. And I'm not listening to I can't recreate the tonality of what they were playing, or or even how they tune their drums. But it's just maybe the mix in general. Yeah. Um, and it's like cool. That I remember when I heard that that sounded like what I think a drum set should sound like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as we can tell from all of our intro and outro grooves from our listeners, we all have a different vision of what a drum set should sound like. Yeah. And so some people all, have a lot valid. of hi hat, and I hear a lot of like classic records, especially from the seventies, where the hi hat is so freaking loud. But nothing that I can do in my studio, I can, the hi hat just can't be that loud. It gets just so annoying. Right. I'm like, nope. I don't, yeah. I don't know how you recorded that, what you did, but I cannot do that. So the last, yeah, yeah, I think I'm the last you. thing I have to mention is I always check the phase. So yes. I always. When I'm starting with the overheads and I bring in the snare, I'll make sure that the overheads are mono, so they're up the center. And then when I bring the snare in, the first thing I do is check the phase of the snare. And I just keep going. Each time I add an element, I'm checking the phase to make sure that, you know, because inevitably one of the channels is going to be out of phase. I have to flip it. So I'm just listening for the most low end. I just toggle back, you know, back and forth with the phase reversed or normal. And once I find the fullest spot in relation to the overhead then I don't mess with it. So if something else right. gets it out of phase and I know it's, it's you know, I'm always working, you know, once I establish the overhead and the snares are good and the kicks are good and the toms are good, I don't have to worry about those. If I bring the room channels in and all of a sudden it starts to sound wimpy, then I know that the, one of the room mics is out of phase or something. Uh, right. And I think phasing is something that it takes a little bit of practice to hear, but once you know how to hear it, you hear it right away. Because honestly, it's not something where you have to have some crazy tuned ear. When you hit that phase reverse button, you'll just know, okay, everything just got a lot more full or it just got canceled out. Yeah, like disappears. And you'll, just, you'll know it right yeah. away. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's really quite obvious. Now, what do you use for phase reverse is it on your um interface itself like for me i have a phase button on my preamps but then i also have a plug-in mm-hmm. that just 
kind of nudges it over. Yeah, when I do my initial mic setup, I, I test the phase with the interface. So I go through each channel and and check and make sure everything is in phase. But then after I record, yep. I do it again with, with a plug-in, just a basic utility uh, right. phase reversal thing. Like yeah. I think Logic has one and Ableton Live. Depends on which doll I'm in, but they they both have the same thing. It's just a simple like phase switch button. Right. And I think it's important too to note that like neither of us are plug-in engineers, but even the fanciest plugins, aren't they for the most part like EQs? I mean if I if I put a tape emulator on, yeah. it's kind of just changing the sound yeah. with EQ. So if you really dial in your eq you can kind of get your drums to sound any way you want people should know though especially if you get like a, a neve plug-in it's going to give you three three uh bands of eq like a high mid and a low and they'll all be sweepable you can use more than one eq plug-in you could yeah, yeah. you know maybe one is your boost eq and then you put that same exact plug-in right after it as your cut eq and the things you're going to take out question i have for you let's say we're dealing with just our overheads yep and maybe it's the same for you since I don't close mic anymore. Maybe it's the same for you on all your channels. Do you compress before you EQ or do you EQ before you compress? That's a good question. I think it changes. In general, I EQ okay. before I compress because I want to get the sound where I want it before I then try to control it. Squash it. Yeah, because okay. if there's a you know if there's a ton of high end and I'm and I don't EQ that out, then the compressor is going to be grabbing all that high end before it deals with the rest of the signal. That's my okay. philosophy. But I've done both ways. It just you know, it just yeah. depends. But in general, I EQ first and then I compress. One thing that I do like about what's um, the thing that I use from Slate is called the uh, the VMR, the Virtual Mix Rack. It's a virtual rack, and it is nice to literally just be swapping plugins. And I just drag the compressor. It looks like you have a rack in front of you, and I just drag the compressor in front of the EQ, and I listen to it that way, and then I drag it after and listen to yeah. it that way. Um, yeah, I think so, it depends I, on if you're doing a lot of cutting or boosting. I think if yeah, like I'm call. usually cutting, then I put that before the compressor because I'm getting rid of frequencies that I definitely don't want the compressor to bring out anyway. Yeah. And then okay, it, last thing. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Then I would follow that probably with another EQ to do a little bit of more boosting the high end or whatever I need to do. And last thing before we wrap this up, what do you what plugins do you use on your master? Um, I love the uh, well. I use a lot, I use UAD plugins. I love the Studer tape emulator. It just kind of makes okay. everything so tape emulator. You know, slightly saturated, warmer. Um, I, I yep. do that. Um, I generally do some kind of a limiter just to keep everything from going crazy. And then occasionally I'll also put like a an EQ or a multi-band compressor so I can adjust the overall EQ of everything. So if the whole right. thing needs more high end, I can just boost it all a little bit. And then, That's do it. you put all that through a mastering plugin to boost your levels, or how do you get your output where you want it to be? Uh, that's what I use the limiter for. So it goes okay. Uh, EQ, Studer, limiter. That's got it. That's what I do. Really, I mean, the Studer kind of is a limiter because it compresses everything a little bit anyway. But yeah. I put that limiter on there just so in case a rim shot juts through, it doesn't peak. Beautiful. That's kind of yeah. It. I think we're pretty much doing the exact same thing, and. Uh, when you first get into mixing with a DAW and you see that huge, gorgeous list of plugins that they gave you when you downloaded your DAW or whatever, just like with anything, you're going to overdo it. You're going to oversaturate. You're going to, yeah. you know, you're going to have the chamber plate reverb recorded <laughs> in a cathedral. Yeah, turned up talk to 10. about reverbs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, uh, 
it, you're going to overdo it. And then eventually, a few years later, you'll kind of be back to like, oh, cool, this sounds like a drum set. And then once you get that, especially for Mike and I, if you're not moving rooms every day, even though he is changing kits, then you can kind of have your your templates that you just save. I mean, I have overhead and I have kick and I have vocal mic and they're just saved. And I, I may have to tweak them a tiny bit because maybe I just changed the tuning or Carter was here and every time he played a note, it seemed like he grabbed a drum key and detuned a lug and then cranked another one, you know, because he just loves changing the sound of the drums. And so it took a, when I got back on my kit, it was like, ah, uh, this is different. There's new frequencies to deal with. Uh, And, uh, but I also was enjoying like, oh, wow, he just detuned the hell out of this Tom that I've had cranked up for a while. I forgot how good it sounds like this. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was cool. But other than that, you know, you, you'll you guys will get it. And if you have questions, especially about mixing, send those in to us. Uh, MD info at modern drummer dot yeah. com. Those oh, are fun. For we us could to spend answer. a whole hour just on different bass drum sounds. Uh, and we, drum sounds and- we just about spent an hour on that. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the 2018 Modern Drummer Readers Poll winners. Uh, this, how long has this been going on? Do you know the Readers Poll? I, you know, I don't know the exact number, but let's see. There's one. There's the first Hall of Fame was in 1979. So, oh my gosh, that's the same. Just think about 39 how, years. <laughs> how it's changed. How people voting has changed in the time you've had this poll. I know. I'm assuming people don't write letters and put a stamp on it and send it in and yeah, be like, "Yeah, it used to be a Vinnie postcard." Kelly, yeah, yeah. It used to be a page you had to cut out of the magazine. Then it was a postcard really? you had to hand, you know, fill it in. And then a few years sure. ago, we decided let's, you know, let's gather up some nominees to at least give you, if you don't have any idea of who might have been the top progressive drummer of the year, here's five people that we we sure. think did a great job and choose from those if you want, or write in someone else. Um, well, yeah, the number, who do you think was the Hall of Fame winner number one? I will tell you right now, I have not seen the Reader's Poll um, results. So Hall of Fame. 1979. God, it, oh, the first one. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, I definitely haven't seen those results. Oh, Buddy Rich. <laughs> no, he was the number two. He was 1980. Ooh. Can you believe that? What? Okay. Uh, can you tell me, is it a jazz drummer? Yes. Gene Krupa or yeah. Max Roach? Gene Krupa was the Gene first Krupa. Hall of Fame okay. winner. Pretty crazy. Wow. So it goes Gene Krupa, Gene, well, and Buddy, Buddy was alive. Yeah. Buddy would have been pissed. Yeah. He would have been hot <laughs> about that. <laughs> no doubt about it. There's no way that he didn't go crush some walnuts with his bare hands after reading that. Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich, and the third Hall of Fame winner was John Bonham. So it went from deserved. like well swing, deserved. swing to classic rock. And then it was a bunch of classic rock guys. So the first... Uh, kind of fusion drummer who do you think that would be 1984 uh, 84 either vince or david allen weckel they That's came his middle they name. both came later okay but um think, oh billy cobb uh also three Dennis years chambers later. nope think of the the godfather of Vinny and and weckel's vibe uh, Think of the Buddy no Rich idea. Memorial Concert. Oh, wait. Oh, Steve Gadd? Yeah, Steve Gadd was the there first fusion drummer voted in. <laughs> Crazy. Dude, you literally just gave me the, <laughs> what do you mean you have a drill with a cord attached to it look? <laughs> that was like the, come on, child. I feel like Alec Trebek when I know the answer, and I'm like, uh, you right. are stupid. <laughs> yeah. 
You are a freaking idiot. <laughs> All right, so let's get to uh, this year's winners. The Hall of Fame right. this year was the much-deserved late great Clyde Stubblefield. Yes, very nice. Which I think is kind of hard I to argue. I just clapped. I wish we had a, <laughs> I wish we had a sample, like some applause. That is awesome. Very cool. Now, here's the crazy one. This year's MVP winner was also the Hall of Fame winner in 1984. Oh. Steve Gadd. Wow. Still the most valuable player. Yeah. I'm, still killing it. I want to be that guy. You know what, man? I... I if if somebody said, "Hey, Gad's coming to you know our, our local club Yoshi's," or we just got a blue note in Napa, it, it wouldn't even dawn on me that he's not in his prime. Like I would literally go as if it was 1982. As yeah. far as my decision, it's like, oh, I don't want to see him now. I wish I could have seen him then. It, Steve Gad, right now, I'd be like, yeah, I'll go. I'll, yeah, I'll go see right. him tomorrow. Crazy. Still, because I know he's still going to be Gad. Yeah. He hasn't lost a step. It's awesome. Intense, and then the top studio drummer was our mutual hero, Steve Jordan. Ah, oh. who who uh, who else was in that category? Uh, second place was Matt Chamberlain. Third place nice. was Miles McPherson. Who, if you're not familiar with, he's a Nashville guy that really kicks okay. kicks butt. Jay Bellarose, number four, and Blair Sinta, number five. It's a good group of nice that's, session. That's dudes. not bad at all. So let's go classic rock, Steve Smith. Killing it with Journey. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, is he really classic rock? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's back at it. And I think he's still going to be working with him for a while. So good for him. Nice. And think, he's out with vital information. Yeah, right. I mean, he's Because got, I know when uh, Carter and I did our clinic, the, uh, the owner of the shop <laughs> politely, uh, Darren over at Dubs, politely reached out and said, hey, um, do you want to promote the clinic? And I was like, why? And he's like, well, Steve Smith and Vital Information are in town on that same night. Oh. And I have a feeling most of my clientele will choose to miss you and Carter. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's okay. That's a, that's a polite way to say they're choosing Steve over you two. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, I'll get on Instagram and promote the clinic. <laughs> so, yeah, that guy's just on fire, still doing it. Yeah. I mean, he also was, I mean, voted into the Hall of Fame in 2002, and he's you know, still still rolling. Modern, I think Modern Rock was a no-brainer. Taylor Hawkins, new Foo Fighters record. They kind of own that category. Yeah. Um, and then Experimental Rock, which I thought was kind of surprising. Stella, Stella Mosgawa won from the band Warpaint. Yeah, we covered her about, a while ago. Uh, I don't yeah, know. early a part of the ago. year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when she was on the cover. Yeah. I thought that was That's interesting. Awesome. So she won over Dale Crover, the Melvins, Phil Selway of uh, Radiohead, John Clardy of... Uh, Tara Melos and Greg Saunier of Deerhoof. That's a pretty wow competitive category right there. Yeah, metal. Brooks Wackerman has officially become a metal drummer. What? <laughs> he's an Avenged Sevenfold now. Is he really? Yeah, and I bet he's killing that guy. Yeah, no that doubt. guy. That's some. That's an underrated dude right there. Yeah, he's a he's a beast for sure. I think because Chad hit the scene as like, you know. Uber drummer, Zappa, right at the yeah. time, yeah, and and then you know he was also a big part of the the drum channel thing that got the push with like oh there's Chad and Thomas Lang right, and right. and Terry Bozio and so he just became kind of this Uber thing that I think and and uh, Brooks was out doing it and doing the gig thing and just killing it but every time I see him play I'm like God how is this guy not more on my personal radar like why do I always forget to be really into this and check this out more because he's just a phenomenal player. Yeah, he kind of lived um, in the the punk scene for a while. Like I remember right. 
gosh, she was on Suicidal Tendencies record and then yeah. Infectious Screws record and then Long Time with Bad Religion, which was an amazing gig for him. Uh, yeah. I thought that was awesome. But now, yeah, awesome. now he's got two bass drums and he's shredding metal with <laughs> of course. That's perfect. <laughs> All right, so let's go through just a couple more. We got the number one progressive drummer. I think is a perennial favorite, Todd Zuckerman. Everyone's yeah. favorite drummer, so well deserved. Um, and then who else was in that category? Gavin Harrison, Matt Gartska, Chris Turner, and Joseph Arrington. No way, yeah. local local boy done good. Yeah, that's right. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember when he he was like, dude. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, he just sent me the text of, like, I'm in this category with these legends. <laughs> right. It's like, I re- I, yeah, I, it's it's a weird thing to think of yourself in that position. And But he's he's well-deserved. So uh, that's, a, that's a big kid category right there. For sure. All right, so let's do just a couple more. We've got the top R&B slash funk slash hip-hop drummer, Rashid Williams. Another one who I think has just been killing it. John Legend and Jill Scott. I mean, what a what a duel. Little gig, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get much yeah. better than that. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> yep. This was funny. I saw that uh, Juliana posted a photo because he won the modern jazz category, and on the same page, he's right in between Jack DeJohnette for classic jazz and Vinnie Coyuta for fusion. And then there's Mark in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. Oh man, oh, that's awesome. Best pop drummer of the year, as voted by the readers, was Aaron Spears. Nice. Uh, country slash Americana was Rich Redmond, up and coming. Jonathan Barber, which is someone I think uh, everyone should check out. He's really killing it. He's playing with Jeremy Pelt and his own band, the Jonathan Barber Group. Nice. Really killer, up and coming jazz drummer. Um, world percussion, Danny Reyes. He's been with the Zach Brown Band for a while, but he won. He's an amazing percussionist. Cool. Very uh, cool. And then Thomas Lang, clinician. And that's it for the people. That's it for the humans. Nice. So yeah, congratulations to everyone. I'll take it. That's great. Awesome. Good I think uh, just as someone that's been in those categories in the past, um, it's just seeing your name next to that stuff is is insane. You know, it's like, wait, what? Yeah. Uh, especially yeah. when the first time I was nominated for clinician educator. Everyone that was in the category with me, I already had their autographs somewhere, like oh, in that's my house. Interesting you know? perspective. Yeah, and, yeah. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Um, <laughs> my mom has my award from last year. I think I won the clinician last year, uh, and she has the award displayed proudly in her nice. office. So, yeah. So, so I if I if I if I start doing more clinics and I get another award, I'm definitely keeping that. I'm wear it around my neck at the mall on a gold chain the only awards i've won were one-on-one and horse champion and 13 year old basketball that's not bad buddy that is not bad i didn't know that and now that i know that i'm gonna stay the hell away from you on the court you're hardcore oh i haven't played basketball since i was 15 anyway (sighs) knowing you knowing you it's just a hidden skill just waiting to be awoken (laughs) awoken all right anyway so (laughs) it's time we thank our sponsor our newest sponsor artistworks.com they wanted to make sure everyone was aware that they have uh some courses with the great peter erskine on jazz drumming which are pretty fantastic what i love about peter is he always stays on the cutting edge of what's happening you know when electronics came out he was using them when when apps came out, he made a couple of them. You know, it's like now there's ways to deliver his stuff with education. He's on there. So if you go to artistworks.com backslash drum, you can check out the course with Peter. 
Um, and they also have it set up to where if you join, he can you can upload your own video and he will have some uh, personal feedback as well. So it's not just pre-recorded lessons. So pretty cool. Hundreds of lessons. All levels, all levels and styles are welcome. Um, and that's it. So yeah, check out artistworks.com. And where are we at Beautiful. now? Beautiful. We are at we the are gear into review. the candy. Gear the drum candy. Gear review. And this is uh we'll get into the sound of this D drum Dios maple kit in a sec, but what a classic finish, man. I've I don't yeah. know what it is about that. I'm trying to think the first kit I played with that finish. The gold top. But it's yeah, it's just I, maybe it's just that it reminds me of a Les Paul gold top. Yeah, you know? that's what I, as um, soon as I saw it, I'm like, yep, that's the one, the gold top. Yeah, I, 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 it's just a classy, classy finish that when you see it, you kind of go like, oh, I wouldn't think that would look good on a on a six piece kit, but it sure does. It's it's gorgeous. So, um, and I, I love. I, I've always kind of dug their aesthetic. You know, they have their version of the two lugs of the mini two lugs. Yep. They've got. I don't know if they're if that rack, uh, the mounting system is new for the rack toms, but it looks pretty amazing. I think they've had that for a while, but it, it I, okay. I definitely called it out in the review that that might be one of the best suspension systems I've ever put my hands on because you don't even realize it's there. The drum just stay, you know, it's easy to mount. You put it where it needs to be; it doesn't bounce around. But it's a full suspension system. So well, and you know that when you get mini tube lugs on a drum set, suspension system is out other than the rims mount because yeah. nobody can make a suspension system for mini tube lugs. Exactly. And so that that's what when I saw this, I was like, wait a minute, I, I don't understand how they're doing that. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, so they they basically replace, I believe it's two of the lugs with a single point mount slash lug. So the so the tom bracket okay. connects to the lug casing itself. Very cool. But it's That's, really out of the looks, way. Super cool. So the kit, um, if you remember, Dios was kind of the flagship D drum line. I don't know when it would have been. It's, uh, gosh, ten years ago, two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah, ago. yeah. Super no, it was popular. a big deal. Super popular because it was it, it just kind it of was went affordable out of, too. Yeah, it was affordable, all maple. But then for whatever reason, they just kind of got away from the all maple shell and and just kind of forgot about it. But then they had people saying, hey, what about the all maple Dios? Bring it back. So here it is. So it it was a lot of fun. The kit that I checked out was a six-piece. What did it have? So they've got six-ply tom shells. Actually, they're all six-ply. And the snare is eight-ply. So six-ply toms, six-ply bass drum, eight-ply snares, um, all maple. And I had a 7x10, 8x12, 14x14, and 14x16 with a gigantic 20x22 bass drum, which was a cannon. That is awesome. Which is kind of the trademark D-drum bass drum. Uh, you can hit that and then run around to the front of the kit and then hear it <laughs> hit the resonator side. <laughs> that is That is a cannon and a half. And they are, like you said, I remember... When this kit was on fire originally, this is right when guitar centers were kind of taking over the U.S. and showing up everywhere. And this was one of their main featured kits because of the price and everything. And you would go in yeah. and you would see this Canon and it was like, oh, OK, that's what Travis Barker is playing or whoever at the time. And it was a big deal. And then that was kind of D-Drum's trademark at the time, at least, was you would see this kit that you assumed was $3,000, but it was $1,400. Yeah. It was $1,300. Yeah, this one just lists, kind of blow you away. This, this lists for $1,599, so I, I would assume you can get it for less than that. Pretty that crazy. No Six-piece kit. That is awesome. All maple. I found no flaws with the drums at all. I mean, the bare edges were clean. The finish was was clean. There was no no issues. Uh, and it was it sounded really nice. 
Well, let's uh, let's take a listen to it, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. Okay, so that was the bass drum with no muffling and a solid front head, and I'm only miking it from the front, so you can hear that it kind of has some thunder to it, uh, but still not like crazy, like not as not as insane as I expected it to be. No, I mean that's what you get out of a bass drum that's that deep. Is it the sound doesn't travel all the way to that resonated head or to your outer head, and it doesn't resonate as much. So usually a twenty-two by twenty, or in your case a 20 by 22 is uh it's actually quite punchy punchier than your eyes think it's going to be it's kind of like your snare yeah. drum test that you just did yeah right so yeah exactly um, good it's, it's good call <laughs> thanks buddy i will say this though i'm sure just like every drum set they're all well-rounded and they can do everything if you tune right but this is a modern sounding drum set oh yeah totally i mean right. it, it, it sounded really kind of pre-eq'd and i, I hate saying that because right. that's become like a overused kind of descriptor but it, it had all the right high end that i didn't feel like i needed to eq it a ton and i mean i just kind of feel too. like sometimes drums should be chosen to do what they do well instead of trying to get the most versatile drum set on the planet and this just seems like dude get a set of two ply clear heads yeah and go in and everyone will hear the attack of every note and yeah. it's just going to do its job yeah you know big and boomy kind of what you expect from thin maple shells the bass drum, I mean, I would personally put a ported head on the front that would allow me to kind of get the microphone inside and mess around with it, but I was surprised at how kind of punchy it was for being such a cannon. So I think, again, like you referenced, the depth does not necessarily mean longer sustain. I think it might mean no. more potential for volume, right. but I couldn't max I it out. That. I couldn't do it. And now, uh, last question before we move on. This is, it, you know, if we take that fifteen ninety nine price point and just and if that's list i mean this thing's going to sell for under 13.99 most likely or 12.99 how did it feel as a drum set when you were just putting it together is this thing janky or did it feel pretty solid no i mean it's it's a real real deal i mean there was nothing because I mean, i'm looking at the it. i'm looking at the floor tom spur or uh, floor tom legs and the clamps i mean it looks like big kid stuff yeah everything about it wow. i didn't that's i couldn't awesome. find anything that made it explicable why it's priced that way (laughs) okay other than i guess it's limited sizes limited finishes so they can kind of produce them a little bit quicker yeah but that was it i mean these are these are great drums so and i do believe they're going to be adding you know alternative bass drum sizes and things like that over the next year but they want to kind of come out with like the trademark d drum setup they also have a version with a 24 inch bass drum which would be gigantic and a 24 and 20 20 inch depth yeah that's gigantic (laughs) They were great. So yeah, these are these are very competitive. I think touring working drummers should certainly give this kit a look. Awesome. Well, uh, if you guys want to learn more, you can always always go to moderndrummer.com and check out the product close up there. You can see Mike play it, so you can see the video uh, and hear him as well. Or you can always just go to their website and check out D Drum. All right, let's get into some listener questions. All right, this one's from John. It says I recently got a set of black hole practice pads and a set of Simbo mutes so I could practice more at home. 
Um, I have concerns about the Simbo mutes because they don't allow the symbols to vibrate after I hit them. So do you mm-hmm. think this could be completely damping the symbol, could damage the symbol, or make it more susceptible to cracking? What a great question. Yeah, I've not tested it to know, but I don't I don't think so. I mean, unless you're kind of like hammering like you're playing a yeah. you know, Maslow Square Garden or something. That's where I see it being a problem is anyone that's asking that question is probably hitting them hard enough to think about that question. Because yeah. when I play at home, I have symbol mutes, I, uh, and I'm, I'm, but I'm playing on the top of them. If you're crashing on these things and bashing the hell out of them to, to get your rock tour rehearsal on, then, yeah, I mean, having that vibration being uh, muffled is is probably going to lend some some chaos to it. So play it with respect. And uh, I've never really understood why people try to get their drums to be muted and quieted and then they bash them so loud that it's like you just (laughs) destroy it anyway. So, you know, I would say just play it with respect. You'll know if you're hitting it super hard. It's yeah, it's going to take some punishment. But I've. I just hit on the top of them. I mean, I would say this. If you if, if you still want to hit hard, just angle your cymbals down. If you hit on the top of those things with your, the tip of your sticks, you could not hit them hard enough to do any damage. Yeah, you'll break your sticks uh, before you break anything else. Exactly. You might the break wood your, will give before the metal. Break your wrist. wrist. <laughs> <laughs> break your neck. Going full. All right. Here's another one that I don't know that we have an answer for from Michael. Uh, how come nobody seems to discuss the concept of bearing edges on metal drums? such as brass Ooh. snares. Great question. I think probably because, wow, I've never thought of that. I, I think we just assume, well, it's right. Whatever that is, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's right. <laughs> it can't be wrong. It's metal. It's perfect. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, that's one thing that I've never thought about is when I change my heads on my toms, I do run my fingers around the edge to make sure there's no splinters, no little spurs or anything. And I've never done that on a metal drum. Hmm. So I'm just not, but I've also never looked at my metal drum and thought, how sharp is this edge? Yeah. What would I call this edge? Is this a 45 degree edge? Is it a 30 degree edge? That's really cool, man. Yeah, I never, I mean, I know that there's certain companies that they don't have any any flange. So like a Danette, yeah. Danette's metal drum totally. is just straight. So he, straight. Just, it's just a round, it's just a piece of metal. So my ANFs are the same way. Yes, but then, you know, yeah. Ludwig has a classic flange and that's just what they've always done. So but yeah, I mean, you could you can't I, customize it though. That's you can't live, you can't I, call Ludwig. Like, hey, can you not fold it so much? I don't think they're going. to Well, yeah, I was going to say, that. could you do like, can you give me like a thirty degree fold? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I've never thought about that. Well, we failed that. Yeah, pa- that I mean, test. I think the reason we don't talk about it because there's no if you buy that snare drum, that's the way it is. You can't send it to your local custom drum maker. Like, hey, can you give me a new edge on can this you, steel can you drum? Hammer this. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Wow. Great question, though. Love yeah. it. All right, one more. Um, oh, okay. This is kind of related to what we were just talking about. So this is from Harrison. Uh, I was wondering, what's the real difference between a metal snare and a wood snare? Does a steel snare have clearer projection than, say, a maple snare? Mm. Oh, and he yeah. had and he had a correction. We we referenced Steve Smith playing on the Journey song "Lights," and that was actually Ainsley Dunbar. Yeah. I know. That's why I said Steve Smith. I want to check y'all. <laughs> Step up your game, listeners. <laughs> that must have been a while ago. <laughs> I think it was when uh, six, I said Lights six, was in 6-8, eight? Eight, yeah, and then yeah. some guy lost his mind. He's like, it's in 12-8. It's like, I know it's in 12-8, but there's no difference for the drummer. It's I'm not counting up to 12. You know how long that takes? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I'm not doing it. I'm counting to 6 and starting over. 
Twelve eight rant over. Okay, <laughs> metal snare versus wood snare. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, man. I got a lot of tea in me. I gotta. I gotta let it go. Okay. I don't know that we can generalize. I think answering this question is so difficult because I think if I gave you know one of my trusted custom shop guys say, hey, I have this solid maple shell. Can you make it as bright and as metal as possible? And they're going to give me a drum that sounds pretty close to a metal drum. Yeah. I think the bearing edge has everything to do with it. The type of wood, if it's ply, if it's solid, the thickness. I think for me, I just hear a higher frequency when it comes to – I'm just going to use brass versus maple because those are kind of the two standards. Standard metal, standard wood. I hear a, um, more sizzle. I hear the um, – it's not more sensitive. You just proved that with all the sugar percussion snares. Right, right? Yeah. And Those were stave. Or were they stave or solid? Shell? No, they were stave. Yeah, stave. So I think it, you know, it just comes down to obviously, unless you have something like Gretsch's solid aluminum snare that's like CNC'd out. Pretty much metal snares are extremely thin. So take, yeah, right. it's almost like a veneer of maple rather than you know even apply. They're so thin, and so there's just this snappiness to them that I don't have to EQ into them. But then sometimes if I was playing singer-songwriter stuff, I just want a thud, um, and I can get that out of a, a maple snare right away, where with maybe the metal snare, I'd have to try a little harder. Um, it, it's it's weird because we, we both have proven over and over again that heads and tuning, you can kind of get almost anything you want out of any drum. Yeah, and muffling, um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I guess in, I would pick a metal drum if I just need something that... that cuts more and i would choose a wood drum yeah. if i need something that sits in the mix more but i think you can yeah. manipulate both of those to do both of those things <laughs> it's, it's hard to have it's just where it's you hard to start have just, you know these rules for for drums because of what they do i think it comes down to what do drums do n- more natural and there's just certain ones where you go cool like you know that if you take a 14 by six and a half ludwig black beauty into the studio you're probably not going to be fighting with the producer all day over your snare tone. It's yeah. like, cool, this sounds like a snare drum, um, as opposed to a 3 by 13 concrete snare. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to have to work with that. It's just not the most normal <laughs> st- sound. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, but I, I, think, I think everyone should own uh, a metal snare and a wood snare in similar sizes just so that they have that kind of a and b and and you'll it's a feel thing you'll just kind of know which one does what totally yep couldn't agree more Cool. so three questions completely unanswered (laughs) batting a thousand here at the modern drummer podcast with mike and mike all right picks of the week let's rock it so i got mine can i go first in case you want to go first buddy steal it from me so uh (laughs) does it rhyme with uh hern hern Oh, man. Uh, so our mutual favorite drummer uh, slash comedian, Aaron Sterling, just put out part two of his, um, what's he call him? Sound of Sterloid. Sound of Sterloid. So he's got workshop number two. And then this one focuses on toms and kick drums a little bit more. And he has a couple chapters where he's using guitar pedals to kind of create mangled uh, drum sounds. And there's a couple of really nice kind of open jams with a guitarist, Tim Young. So it kind of complements the first series, which was mostly snare drums. Uh, mm. This one, he focuses more on drum kits, kind of kind of the big, kind of beefy kit, the real dead tight kit, the kind of jazzy bop kit, and then the real open kind of bombastic kit. 
uh, really cool, same kind of vibe. He's essentially just turning the camera on and rolling, and whatever whatever comes out comes out. But there's always a ton of really useful uh, practical info in there. And I think it's available now. The whole thing is like seventy bucks, something like that. Seventy five dollars, yeah, seventy five dollars. And it's I mean it's two hour, two and a half hours. And as somebody that's been doing this online education thing for over a decade, I can tell you for a fact, no one does it quite the way that Aaron does because. He has no rules. He doesn't know what the rules are, so he just does everything his way, which is yeah. <laughs> brilliant. I mean, think about think about it like this. You fly to mikeslessons.com to take your drum camp, and I sit you down in my lobby and make you watch Aaron Sterling videos. Yeah, That's, that's how good cool. these videos are. Yeah. That should tell you everything you need to know. This stuff is really good. He's obviously one of the best players in the world today, but he's just honest when the, the camera comes on, and it's really cool. The other thing I like about it is even when he's teaching – Whatever his playing examples are while he's just showing you the tone of a kick, the drumming is so fantastic. It's, so it's a lesson in yeah. itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's like, oh, could you just press pause and break <laughs> that down? Yeah. And there's I get a, there, it. There, microphone a, in front of kick, but I need that. There was a couple of moments where I laughed out loud, like for real. I'm not going to spoil it, but it was just like, man, you did. You, you like, I think it was an accident. But when he looked back at it, he's like, that's so funny. It's got to stay. I won't ruin it. Yeah. But there's a couple of them in there. I'm like. Dang, man. <laughs> it's good stuff. So, and you can, if you just go to AaronSterling.com slash masterclasses, you can just check out, check out the preview of this stuff. Um, I have the other three videos the organic hip hop, the metric modulation part one, and metric modulation part two. And I've showed those to quite a few campers. And it's, it's just fun because he's his own thing and he's not trying to fit into any box. He's definitely, when it comes to delivering information, he's not trying to copy anybody. He is his own person and i really really enjoy it so yeah pretty good stuff all right my pick of the week is something for free it is on youtube and i have recently gone from being maybe an uh, a pandora radio slash itunes radio person as far as my background music to a youtube channel person where when I wake up in the morning, I turn on specific YouTube channels on the TV. Almost everybody either has a smart TV or an Apple TV or a way to get YouTube on their TV. And I pick specific channels that play lengthy content. And so my pick is it's called Mahogany Sessions. Okay. Uh, so check out Mahogany Sessions. And these are artists that maybe you've heard of. You're a little more into the indie scene than I am, but these are almost all artists that I've never heard of. But this stuff is filmed insanely well. And some of the performances are as short as three or four minutes, just a song. But a lot of them uh, are maybe a full concert where it's 23 minutes or 25 minutes. And as I'm getting ready for the day, I walk past it. It's filmed extremely well. The video looks amazing. And so it's almost like just throwing some art up on your TV. I it, I walk past it. It looks great. And then every once in a while I go, oh, okay, I really dig that. Now I'm going to go to iTunes and purchase that album. So check out Mahogany Sessions on YouTube. They're doing decently well. They've got 527,000 subscribers. Good grief. And uh, <laughs> good for them. <laughs> good for them. Um, so, so yeah. All right, buddy. So you've got stuff to do. I do. Go I've do got your a, thing. I've got a split, and we've got to thank who's our closer. We've got Brad Needles here jamming us out to end this week. So if anyone, we, we still have a few more to go, but if you want to get your beats into the show, send them over to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Please include your name in the file name so they don't get mixed up with some other things, and we'll drop you in. So they're kind of coming in as orders in the order they were received, so we'll keep rolling with this until you guys are sick of playing drums for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the outro groove, Brad. All right, buddy, I'll see you soon. All right, see you.
Peace.